five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very warm welcome to Cover Radio's weekly news review show, Five in the Eye. This is me, Michael O'Hajuru, in London, and you're listening to episode number 0285. And this is Phil Woodford joining Michael by Zoom this week and revealing our top story, perhaps inevitably, is the last minute panic over Brexit. The transition period is over at the end of the month, but we don't yet know what our relationship with the EU is going to be come January the 1st. Five in the eye. Well, our second story this week, we discussed the booing of players taking the knee at the new den and asked whether Millwall were right to abandon the gesture in their following game with QPR. Is this just giving in to the racists? Fancy a trip to the library when the COVID crisis is over? How about the Trump presidential library? For story number three, we're going to discuss the books and documents that might grace such an august establishment and whether Trump can ever create the kind of legacy that US presidents traditionally leave behind. And what's story number four? Well, there's a million dollar animation which has won applauds. But you may, you may be surprised at where it's being produced. We'll investigate the growth of the Nigerian animation industry. And finally this week, Margaret Keenan was the lucky lady to get the first Pfizer COVID vaccine this week, closely followed by one William Shakespeare. It's good to know that although the, uh, the vaccine's American and German, the recipients sound as British as roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. This is the point where you usually introduce a bad joke, Phil. And that's this week's in the eye five in the eye okay well we're going to kick off this week with the brexit saga and um boris johnson had dinner with ursula von der leyen the uh the uh, president of the european commission and um, apparently fish was served up rather ironically because fish is one of the big uh sticking points still there are three things that apparently we cannot agree on Michael's given me 30 seconds to just run through them. The, the fishing. Um, so you've, ju- you've just lose 20 of those seconds up already. The fish. The fishing is about how much access, particularly the French, have to our uh, our waters and how soon um, how soon we're able to kind of claim back the sovereignty over our waters. That's the first one. The second one is over what they call the level playing field, which bizarrely in German is that's level playing field and in Italian is there level playing field because um, I've watched the um I've w- watched the politicians from the various countries talk about it and um then uh, the level playing field is the idea that we've all got our own rules and regulations once the e once the EU and the UK separate what if we changed our labor laws what if we changed our environmental protections would that give us an unfair advantage and so if we had an unfair advantage should we have access to their single market that's the second thing they're arguing over and the final thing is if there are disputes who gets to decide? Oh, how, do they, how, do they, how do they get resolved? And then we're into <laughs> the European Court. Yeah, exactly. So um, Boris, uh, in his usual blustering uh, style, sort of went off tally ho to Brussels and uh, said that he wasn't going to put up with all of this and it was unreasonable and such. Is he going to cave, Michael? Are we going to have to give up in the end and accept just for the sake of, of sanity? We're going to have to accept a deal, aren't we? When you, who is we when you talk about that? You know, I'm ready to accept a deal now. I want to move on. <laughs> the we I think you're referring to is, is the Tory party, and specifically Boris Johnson and the European research group, these far-right-wing uh, 
flapping coat loonies who are Brexit red tooth and claw. He has to appeal to them. And he can't give way on any of those issues. You know, so I think for me, <laughs> what was it, what did they say in um, Dad's Army? We're doomed, we're doomed. <laughs> you know, because there's no compromise. Because what, what Britain wants, they want their cake and eat it. They want their gato and manger it, <laughs> you know, and it's wrong. They want to be part of a common, they want to be part of and all the benefits of the, the common uh, common market in terms of tariffs and access, but none of the, right, none of the responsibilities. They want to trade elsewhere. And for me, it was summed up, there was a tweet about a uh, reported conversation about some, some Scottish f- fishermen. And they said, Scottish fishermen said, 90% of my catch goes to Spain, but I still voted for Brexit because mm. I want to take back control. Yeah, you cannot. Well, you know, and 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 um, obviously, anyone who's tuned into the Five and the I over the last five years has heard you know, heard our discussions on Brexit, and um, I think it's no secret that we 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 thought the whole the whole thing was mad. We've then gone through various stages afterwards about how we're going to get ourselves out of the mess, and then perhaps you and I have diverged at at those, at those points. Now. I mean, it strikes me extraordinary that, you know, we've got to the stage where we're literally weeks away. No, Phil, no days. Well, yeah, literally in days. I mean, and, and do, you know, people could say, well, does it matter, this no deal? Yes, it really, really does matter. If we have no deal, um, the, the checks and tariffs kick in from the 1st of January, and it will undoubtedly mean that we're going to find it harder to bring basic things like food and medicine into this country. And we're going to see that. Oh, no, no, you've gone to project fear now, project fear. You know, I've got to put on my, uh, my, my sensible hat now, (laughs) you know, it is going to be difficult. It's going to be a few months of uh, confusion and there may well be some shortage. There may be some price increases, but we will get through. We will get through. Um, you know, I've, I've no doubts. I've no doubt we will get through. My problem is the pain. The pain. If they know they're going to get pain, well, let's get the, the better what was the, end in pain than pain without end. Get it sorted and move on. You know, you've got, you've got, got some, some factories are shutting down and waiting until to see what happens. You know, something like 60% of the companies have still not, have not decided or don't know what the, have not put measures in place to cope with the change. It's going to cap It's going to happen in January the first. I mean, there's a big there's a big campaign by the government advertising campaign. You know, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for what we. I mean, the government hasn't even decided what the rules are going to be come January the first, and we're now in the middle of December. So, I mean, what are people preparing for, Michael? They oh, don't know, do they? Exactly, we don't know. And look, but in order to. Well, in order to try to understand that, let me share something with you, Phil. Something I, I wanted to talk about this, rather, rather talk about the odds on things happening, because so many things can happen, rather than the reality of a Brexit or the, real, the reality, the reality such as we know them. And I, I came across, I, I, I looked at the bookies, and I'll I put this to you, Phil. What are the chances? No, you can get, you can place a bet on this, of a Brexit referendum before twenty twenty one. What are the chances of that? Well, I could tell you, Michael, that 
they're 99 to 1 because you're currently sharing a screen with me that gives me the answer. <laughs> that's, no, that's Zoom for you, isn't it? Yeah. Michael Porty was going to put me on the spot there, but... So, no, no, not exactly. No, no, I, I would never do that. So, it is, it's, so we're definitely not... We're not leaving. We're not going to have a referendum. We're not going to have a referendum. But if you look at the, what it says, the chance of a UK, UK and the EU to sign a trade agreement, a trade deal, by the end of 2020... And the the odds I've never seen odds like the one that I've, the one for yes there'll be a deal. The odds are thirty two to nineteen. It's incredibly precise, and also they they've changed since just before we start. <laughs> they've changed in the time that Michael and I were just preparing to go on air. Uh, so so this is real time stuff going on, folks. I, um, my maths isn't good enough, Michael, to work out whether yes is more or less likely than it was a few minutes ago when we were talking. But, um, but what, what what they're saying is. There's a slight, a slight emphasis, the possibility, and the odds are very short that we might get yes. But equally, the odds you know, four to five on that we're going to get no. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the bookies haven't got any firm, firm answers, then, then what chance do we have mm-hmm. as, as reading the papers? And these people are obviously talking to, to ministers and the like. So it's, well, it, uh, it, here's my prediction, and I I could be proved wrong in the next day or two, Michael, because it could all fall apart, as we know uh, straight away. I think there will be a deal. Um, the reason I think there will be a deal is that Boris Johnson doesn't have any ideological commitment to Brexit whatsoever. Uh, he wrote those famous articles for yeah, and against yeah. Brexit. He doesn't care. Uh, he's insulated against the he's a multimillionaire, insulated against the effects of it, and so on. Um, he does he want an unfolding crisis in the new year uh, based on our lack of preparedness for this new arrangement. When he's already got the COVID crisis going on, when we're trying to roll out the vaccines, when we've got a huge economic hit from COVID, he's lazy. uh, He's a bumbler. He's going to want the easy life. And I think um, facing down the ERG is going to be easier, to be honest, than than dealing with the consequences of it. No, he's seen... He's already lost one. You know, he's always got his eighty-seat majority. He's already lost one. One uh, in the, uh, well, almost lost it due to the uh, the um, the Labour Party um, not um, abstaining. He's, he's, he's upset a considerable constituents of his own party. I think his position is under threat. His position under threat. So he's going to be seen to be taking leadership here. He's got his, and for me, I think it's going to be more a bumble thing. That's why I like this. This I'm going to put this other one, this other um, possibility here. Possibility that UK and the EU extend. Here we go again. Extend the Brexit transition period after the first of January, 2021. I mean, if there was one scenario that would guarantee to get the right wing of the Tory party hopping mad, it's another extension. I mean, I I actually but think it, but there, but are some, it, there are some of them that would probably prefer a deal to another extension because they think that um, every extension is just uh, an excuse to drag our heels over a vote that took place in 2016, don't they? Um, I could imagine them going absolutely crazy if that happened. On the other hand, could I imagine some scenario where it was in the EU's and the UK's interest to nudge it down the road for another three months. Yes, I could sort of imagine that. And, 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 that, and that's what I imagine. Because the, 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 on the one hand, we are so close to a deal. So close to it. We just need a little longer. 
but but equally we're so far away <laughs> in so many issues that was it? we're going to have to, we're, we're obviously going to have to leave the story shortly but there was that one thing that did happen this last week which seemed quite promising which was that the northern ireland arrangements were dealt with weren't they and that was going to that was another oh, but I'm, not, not, I'm, not, I'm not sorry Phil, but that was just created a, a good atmosphere to the talks mm-hmm. a good atmosphere it was not relevant to the actual trade negotiations I, 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 agree, I agree with you but then the fact that they actually did back down yeah. over that d- didn't suggest that they were looking for a deal but they were hoping to create the atmosphere that a deal happened in but exactly but, um, but the sad thing is i don't think it worked <laughs> it worked you know, it was thank you for doing, thank you for that concession. Now let's move on. You know, so I don't know because they shot themselves in the foot by saying we're going to break the law, international law. And now they've gone back on it. So you know, that, that's, uh, they didn't they didn't do themselves any favors there. But I, I guess this one, Phil, as we've said many times about Brexit, is going to run and run, but it's going to finish on Sunday. <laughs> so we shall see. Is it going to be an extension? Or is going to be no deal? I'm on the extension, Phil. Go on. What are you? I think there'll be a deal. Five in the eye. Story number two is about Millwall fans. Millwall fans the boo as players took the knee in support of Black Lives Matter. And it shocked a lot of people. It shocked a lot of people because this has become, this was a statement here that, that they're in solidarity with, with with the Black Lives Movement, not just in Britain, but around the world. You know, part of kick racism out of sport, this is something that's been going on for for years here in Britain, the, 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 this movement. And here, it seems to have all gone wrong. It never, it's so that those years of the anti-racism, kick, you know, kick it racism out of football, it hasn't happened, it's still there. And what, Phil, what told me personally about this, Phil? This was a, a select few. This is a thousand, a thousand Millwall fans, and because that's what was allowed in. And Millwall has a reputation for being racist, and here they were just playing to the crowd. And I, I, I was, I was, I was saddened by it, Phil. That, that, yeah, and I, I, and I, I, I understand that the, the, the Millwall management, both the football management and the club management, were equally saddened. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think this was completely unacceptable and um, really very sad to see. There's been a good spirit around the the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign and its association with football over the summer, and to see it kind of sullied in this way by these uh, these um, guys at the side of the pitch, I really didn't like it at all. The the the, the um, I mean, I I do wonder how. And um, out of the you know the regulars, the season ticket holders, how these people were selected. I know Spurs have had a ballot, for instance, to decide who goes into the ground um, to to get this um, sort of critical mass of people who prepared to behave like this. Strikes me as worrying. Uh, Millwall is a, a, a club with a lot of history. You're right. You say it's probably the club in London where I felt most personally scared in the past at their own uh, their old ground. I have. Um, being escorted out of that ground by riot police going past trashed out cars and uh you know it, it's it's ugly at times down there um now you know you like to think the worst of all of that stuff is behind us but then this episode here exactly. that, no that's exactly what we thought it was behind us that we've moved on maybe in reality it's just 
that that's lip service. They're, they're going through the motions, but at least they went through in the past. They've gone through the motions, but here to to go back to the booing in such a, a proactive in such a proactive way, it was you know, it was it was disappointing, saddening, frustrating, and I, I can. I, the, that was the word that came across from many of the, of, of the Millwall uh, players who were black, or the Millwall players in general. They were frustrated after all the hard work that the, that, that, that the club has done, and and for for this to happen, it's just it just leaves a, a terrible but, taste. But, but then then there was the issue that for the subsequent game with QPR, the the Millwall Football Club got together with fans and with other interested parties, and they made a decision that the taking the knee was going to be abandoned in favour of linking arms. And some people said, well, this is a climb down in the face of the racist barrage that the players had, um, you know, had, had um, been subjected to. Um, QPR players reacted by taking a knee themselves and um, also even taking a knee to celebrate the goal that they'd scored. And um, that seemed to be a very pointed commentary back to Millwall saying, look, you may not have the bottle to stand up to these people, but we do. Is that is that a fair take on it, Michael? And this is well, call me cynical here, Phil. You, I don't know. I would like to believe that they're in solidarity, but equally, you know, there's, there's a getting one back on the other side, you know, to kind of aggravate them, and maybe he's trying to kind of you know goad them into in, in, into doing something. And so, I guess it was respect to the Millwall fans that that that, that they stood their ground if if they were if that was the intention, and didn't and didn't boo again. So, so maybe that let, let, let's hope that that was just a one-off. That was just a one-off. They've learned the lesson. They saw how it went, went really around the world, and and so they're not. It, just, it, it was not going to happen again. Um, one thing that you know, a wider issue is surely going to be, you know, where does the Black Lives Matter protest in the football arena go? Because, you know, some might say, well, eventually it it will come to a natural end in the same, much the same way that perhaps when we. Uh, when we clapped the NHS workers yeah. during the first lockdown, um, it was a big statement. It was a big public spirited campaign. But eventually people said, well, we've kind of made this point now and it's outlived its purpose. But some people would argue, well, until such time as black people are treated equally in society and until such time as they can be free of discrimination and racism, then the protest should continue. What do you what do you feel? No, I think the protest should continue, Phil. Continue. And the, the time will come. We know when it, the end is finished, when, when, when the end is there. And for me, it's the things like you, you, you'd see black managers, there'd be black managers in, in the championship and the premiership. They, they they will be seen as normal, rather than exceptional. There'll be black people in in the in the boardrooms, so that the, 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 there would be a, a presence at all levels of management. That's what we're looking for. And until we get that kind of uh, representation, there'll always be a need to make a to, to make some 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 statements. Now, what may happen? You may the FA may take them internally, bring on some more rules to to increase diversity, active rules. To actively increase participation in the sport, maybe that'll be a time to spot to stop because the FA have decided we're going to do something specifically about increasing black presence and, and put quotas in or something of that nature. But unless we see something, some dramatic movement, I think it's something that's going to be there for uh, 
sadly in perpetuity until until we have that the point of yes the the is listening we're making it is making a difference live in the eye story number three this week is um going to take us over to america because there is um a tradition that presidents leave some kind of legacy and um this legacy could be of course in terms of what they've achieved during their time in office and we hope that they might have achieved something positive uh, but also there's there's often a kind of physical infrastructural legacy because they commission their own libraries which are kind of repositories of papers from their presidential term and so on um the idea of trump and a presidential library michael they don't sit easily together do not, not at all not at all because this is this is quite a, a, a recent innovation you know, in the last 50 years or so, uh, and, they, and they started to backfill and to put other president, presidential libraries in, in place. And it's something that presidents have done for them in terms of the party or some group says, we're going to invest some money to, to create an institution for you where you can put your papers, your books, you can put the dresses from your first lady, all those things that represented your... Uh, your presidency, because it's 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 a time capsule. It's a time capsule. And I think it's a brilliant idea. And it, it, it got me thinking, Phil, in terms of why don't we do it here? Why don't we do it in Britain? You know, because it wouldn't, because you, 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 your man Blur, his library, come on. No, 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 no. People well, yeah, but he, he does have a foundation, doesn't he? And they, they do kind of, well, some things that probably are positive and some things that are more controversial, but, you know, he has a kind of, he has a political agenda still. No, but, but just to have some place where you can go in and, and, and sense the, the, the Blair years. Yeah, yeah. Because the one that one I always thought there would have been was Mrs. Thatcher. Yeah. But she's, look, Thatcher and Blair are the obvious candidates in the UK because they were the ones that had the longest terms in office in modern history and they won multiple elections. And so you, they were part of the furniture, weren't they? It's a bit more difficult to justify it with the likes of Gordon Brown or Theresa May, isn't it? Because no, they no, were it, around. It, the it, 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 you have a bookcase, the, the Gordon <laughs> Brown bookcase. But having said that, you know, these libraries are quite substantial institutions. And they're well funded, you know, with with um, with, with annual events and uh, general celebration of their particular prime minister. Maybe we we, we don't celebrate our prime ministers in that sense. Hmm. We don't have. I think, that. I think we're very cynical about yeah. prime ministers, and um, I I think you know there's been a lot of deference historically to the office of the U.S. presidency. Yeah, yeah, Trump yeah. Has, Trump has single handedly managed to destroy that. <laughs> Uh, in one term, because you know, previously the whole idea was just by just by being in the gravitas of an yeah. authority and a and a gravitas. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, when you look at someone like um, Obama, he obviously had that natural gravitas anyway. But yeah. with someone like George W. Bush, who didn't, the office gave exactly him, exactly, exactly. Extra that he no, didn't have. People just people just say about 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 Clinton. When he first started, there was no magic. But by the end of it, when he walked into a room, the room lit up, door opened. You know, he was two inches off the ground. You know, when he talked to you, you were the only person on the planet he was talking to. There's a magic. And I always argue, I argue Clinton, 
Bush, Obama, they get that greatness because we give it to them and they take it in. Mm-hmm. They feed off it. You know, but so coming back to ourselves, maybe we won't do that to our, you know, Harold Wilson. <laughs> you know, they, they, these are feet on the ground people, you know. I think so. But I, also, I think I do think the British system, particularly historically, because of the um, we didn't have um, fixed term parliaments, you have got a history of kind of people coming in and out. So Jim Callaghan taking over from Wilson. Well, what, you know, Callaghan's, what, what is his role in British political history, apart from perhaps the winter of discontent and, you know. That I, that remember, I can remember in the swimming pool, crisis, what crisis? Yeah. <laughs> So these are the things that come to mind. But he was only he was only prime minister for a couple of years, and that and we we have a system which means that um, you, you've got some some prime ministers that have served for donkey's years, and others that have just been there for a little. But but for even this even this small conversation here, we we mentioned Blair and Thatcher, and I think we're both agreeing that there's there's some substance in the library. There would be some substance in the library, or in the Blair's case, a foundation associated with them. But if we come back to our man Trump. Mm. In terms of gravitas, I saw the the okay, cynical saying it should be a theme park. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you, what books do you think would be in the Trump Library? You, you reckon? Yeah. If you uh, went to borrow from the Trump Library, what would you, what would you be getting? Art, you'd have thousands of copies of the Art of the Deal. Ah, yes, yeah, his famous <laughs> ghost-written. You'd have signed book. copies of Art of the Deal. You know, I think, and, and also, I'd, I'd love to see that. Would it be signed in his big, thick felt tip? His <laughs> sharpie, his sharpie pen would be fantastic. I think if he, if he if he had that one of the um where the hurricane was, it was you know he he redrew the map. We could have that on the wall. You know, you, we, we can rewrite history. We can rewrite weather here. The, one thing is sure, surely would be true about the Trump library would be it would cost you to go in and there would, there, there would be merchandise and stuff $29 come away but you know are you gonna do you know in um, Madame Dussault's I may mean, have told you this before I saw people queuing to be photographed with Hitler do you know so you can so I guess they'll be photographing to be, to, to be queuing to be photographed with Trump and the first lady can you imagine that? That's just I don't know. who Phil. I think we're, we're being liberal elites here when we 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 were you know, kind of looking down on those people who want to be photographed with Trump. But you know, I don't know. They just seems just seems really sad. Live in the eye. Our fourth story was was what is is um for me what I would put call it a feel good story because it's about um an animation movie that's coming from. Nigeria. Now, Nigeria is not a country I would normally associate with animation. Uh, I, I normally associate with, with this um, Nollywood, these um, these films. And I must admit, I'm not a great fan of Nollywood movies. They're not they're not 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 for me. But this this cartoon, I've saw that I've seen. You're the more you're more Bollywood, aren't you, Michael? Doing a bit don't even of, go there. Bit of a da- dance routine. That's even more nonsense. All that loving and nonsense. I'm sorry. And no disrespect to my Nollywood and Bollywood friends, but it's not my taste, not my taste at all. But 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 this this, um these are this cartoon is because it's a contemporary cartoon. There's a a real characters doing real people that you can identify with. This sounds really really arrogant. It's a proper cartoon. (laughs) 
you know, with, with, with merchandising opportunity in it, we're on with a great story. And, and the animation is really, really effective. Again, yeah, but you're, you're, sound, you're, you're sounding surprised, Mike. No, exactly. I'm going to explain it. You know, this is, this is, you know, I mean, this uh, Nigeria is a, a fast-growing economy in, in, in recent times, and it's a hugely populous country. Uh, Africa generally is is on the up i mean it doesn't should it really surprise us that there's a there's an animation and movie industry emerging uh, in 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 the country no, no not at all phil because i know that in in nigeria in zimbabwe south africa there's a strong um, um animation industry and i understand they're doing some work for america now thanks to the internet you can work all over the world and they're doing some great work for for, for america so the talent is there the talent is there. It's just putting it together in their in a movie in in a, a cartoon movie in Nigeria, putting the whole story together in, in one piece. It just, I think it's fantastic, and it's coming out. It, it, it's um, it's coming out today, the eleventh. The eleventh mm-hmm. coming out today. Um, I'm gonna go try and find it if I can I'm on Netflix because I don't think it's on Netflix. It's being kind. Of, it's only released in cinemas in Nigeria, but I'm sure there's there'll be copies somewhere. And I really urge you. To- Will people actually be able to see it in the cinema there, given COVID and everything? I don't know what the restrictions are in Nigeria. No, no, you I, I, see it in a theatre, can you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that it'll be the well, one it has been released in the theatre, but I'm sure that it'll, it'll be like the football ground here, and they'll be socially separated. And keep in mind, the theatres in Nigeria are all open air, right? They're, they're the screens, so the, the people, probably in their car or whatever, we done appropriately because. Well, there've been some fantastic um, cartoons for, um, uh, for 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 children and COVID to talk about the the reasons why you need to wash your hands, the reason why you wear your mask. There's some cartoons be done in Nigeria. So it, I, I, this one, this one, the spin-offs for me in terms of seeing seeing some of these Nigerian cartoons, and they they've been it's been an eye opener for me. I'm, I must have been humble because I knew there was, like I said, there was a cartoon, uh, an animation industry. I knew they were selling work into America. But to see how, how, how well developed it is in, in in terms of this this movie, and and it's set and what, what, for a million dollars, only a million dollars. Do we know much about the storyline here? And it, does that have a does that have a distinctive Nigerian feel? No, we're going to have to wait. To, we're going to have to wait and see if we get 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 to watch it on Netflix or uh, whoever's distributing it. But uh, if we find out if we find out more, we'll let you know here on Five in the Eye. But, 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 but we'll have the link on Five in the Eye, and we'll, we'll know what well, once it's been released. We'll, we'll big it up definitely, definitely, because it's um, it's um, something it's something to watch. And just before we leave, something to watch. Just I know this, just very briefly. Jingle Jangle Netflix, fantastic. It's a real feel good movie. It's a it's a Christmas movie themed around um, a black inventor. Absolutely excellent. Jingle jangle, recommending. Okay, Michael gives that his five-star rating. Definitely six. (laughs) Five in the eye. And from that six-star rating, we move to story number five. And um, another feel-good factor because vaccine was being rolled out in the last week. And I'm pleased to say that my mum's going to get a vaccine next week and my father's oh, going to get a vaccine next week. So this is, um, things are really moving on. Um, and, and I think everyone, everyone's quite excited at the prospect that possibly in 2021, we can, we can start can to drop the shackles of COVID. Sorry for that. I've just been excited. We all feel better. Yeah. There's light at the end of the tunnel. 
yeah, yeah. Things are getting better. It's been it's been a hell of a year. Obviously, a lot worse for some people than others, but it, everyone's had to adapt. And um, interesting that Margaret Keenan was the lady who got the first jab, and she got a big round of applause, and it was a big occasion. Uh, good for her. And then the second person to get a jab was a guy called William Shakespeare. Now, where did they find William Shakespeare, Michael? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They missed a trick there. The first man to be vaccinated was William Shakespeare. Roll, bring, roll on the puns. We've already had one of your your barred puns. Your yeah. bar, your puns are normally barred, but that was a particularly barred one. <laughs> I've just got a list here that I want to give you now. Shall I start reading them? Okay, okay. Michael's got all his Shakespeare jokes lined up. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's too easy, Phil. You're the intellect in this this team here. So I'll be looking, I'm taking your lead. Or or, 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 am I I making much ado about nothing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the point was made that. William Shakespeare was was maybe seeing the end of the winter of his discontent as he had his uh, as he had his vaccine this week, but um, I I I I think interesting to me that someone with such a historic a name of such historical and literary resonance should be selected for uh, the second jab. I was wondering if I changed my name to say Charles Dickens, do you think that maybe I would go up the queue, Michael? Would, would oh, I, I change it by deed poll? Also, you have to put on a few years, 40 years, Phil. 40 years you've got to put on you. And you might, you might well, get in you, there. Every time we record, you age me. <laughs> Do you know what? Apparently, her number was, you know, um, Margaret Keenan's number was 1A. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, oh, oh come on. <laughs> I can see this coming now, right. So, so William Shakespeare's. To be, is that right? <laughs> to be or not to be. What about two gentlemen of Corona? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, is, this is sad. Play on both their gags, honestly, Michael. You know, um, I, I, I think we maybe we'll, we'll maybe draw a veil over it now. But I'm, I, I. Thank, thanks to the volunteers, on a serious note, thanks to the volunteers for being first in line and showing the way. Uh, personally, I'll be getting this jab. I had a flu jab last week. I will be getting this COVID jab, and I hope all our listeners will too, Michael. Definitely, definitely. And, and I, I, for the first time, I had my flu jab. I had my flu jab. And I'll tell you one of the things I loved about this, Phil. There's a woman in her 90s. And where's our society? We love our old people. We love our mums and dads, our grandmothers and granddads enough to put them in first before ourselves, to look after them. And that's that says that says we care about our we care about each other. And that says sends out a great message. Isn't that? And that that's what made me smile, really made me smile that we we're, we're all in this together. And we're looking after our we're looking after our own. Because there have been some terrible stories of, of care homes, some dreadful stories. Absolutely dreadful. No, I, I love that story. I do. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for this week. William Shakespeare has got his jab, which is as you like it, eh, Michael? <laughs> Again, not a bad joke, Phil. Not a bad joke. Thanks so much for joining us for a look back at the week's news. It means a lot that you tuned in as it's doubled our listenership. We'll be back next week at the same time. And if you want to contact us in the meantime, why not visit our Facebook page where we post up a whole host of stories each week. 
For now, this is Phil Woodford in London, wrapping up Five in the Eye for another week and saying goodbye. And this is Michael O'Hajuru saying, as always, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's episode 0285, over and out. See you soon. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?